Welcome to the first State of the Planet, where we sit and discuss, you guessed it, the state of the planet with thought leaders. And so today we're so excited to have Jeff Catch from the Rodale Institute. Jeff, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and joining us. Right on, Gabe. It's a real honor and a pleasure to be here today. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course, thank you. So I wanted to just start off by kind of understanding your journey and how it is that you are now, you know, how you got where you are, right? You're the chief innovation officer um, or I'm sorry, chief impact officer for the Rodale Institute, which to me holds uh, a lot of weight. But I know you have a, a fascinating story. Well, well, yeah, thank you. That's very humbling of you to say. Um, and it's been it's been a journey at that. You know, my work began um, probably 19 years ago, where I first came in contact with the work of Rodale Institute peripherally. Uh, I started my my work out of college in the publishing industry, and uh, worked in the media industry uh, for a company called Rodale Incorporated, which was a sister company uh, that was a global health and wellness publishing company. Um, around 2004, I got put into a leadership position within the publishing industry and was invited to come to an event at the Rodale Institute, which was the nonprofit also started by our founder, J.I. Rodale. And it was like this moment when I first stepped on that land on the actual physical farm where the Rodale Institute was housed that it, it did something to my soul. It was like, it just left an indelible impression. And uh, I felt this longing to connect with that work. And over the course of my career in publishing, I kept spending more and more time around the Rodale Institute and falling more and more in love with the work. I uh, was invited to sit on the board of directors starting in 2015 and then faced a pretty significant health collapse. Um, this is all while I was doing my work in the media industry. And it was through that health collapse over about a seven or eight month period that I connected the dots between my own health and what, what caused the decline and what was happening in our conventional agricultural systems. And then the doctor that helped me get back to wholeness began to use a, what's called a functional medicine or a systems-based approach to healing. And it was in, the, in those weeks and months of my healing that I realized that the same solutions held in functional medicine are true for regenerative agriculture. And that was really like a, a real um, powerful moment in my life where I decided that when I, when I fully healed, I wanted to leave my work in the media industry and give the rest of my life to this movement of regenerative organic agriculture. So I stepped off of the board in 2016 and became a full-time employee of the Rodale Institute. And that's how it happened. Wow. I mean, that's a remarkable story. And I always love when we can draw parallels between, you know, the planet and our own health and um, sort of everything in between. And so, of course, as plant people, you know, our mission is to heal and connect people in the planet through the power of plants. And I think that no one is doing that sort of better from uh, an education and, and, and sort of um, innovation lens than, than you guys. Um, so, you know, I think one of the, the interesting sort of things that comes to my mind is this move away from the idea of sustainability and into this idea of regeneration. So what, what does that mean to you? And, and how is it that you would sort of distill, distill the idea of regeneration or regenerative agriculture for, uh, our community that, that is listening? Yeah, well, our work in regenerative agriculture at Rodale Institute began in the, around the 1970s. Um, 
Bob, Robert Rodale, who was one of the leaders over the decades of Rodale Institute. Robert Rodale was our leader during the 1970s. And he was doing a lot of uh, traveling around the globe, uh, visiting many you know, impoverished parts of the world where agricultural systems were, were truly decimated. There was, there was nothing really there in those systems that was worth sustaining. And it was around the time that the word sustainability was coming into the mainstream vernacular and Robert Rodale felt like, as he looked at these broken agricultural systems, mm. he felt like the word sustainability was the really the wrong choice of words. He said, why are we talking about sustainability when there's nothing here to sustain? And he began to look at the soil and what the microbiological process of the soil was, which was ultimately about regenerating and healing itself. You know, there's something like 10 billion microorganisms in every teaspoon of healthy soil. And when the biology of the soil is working properly because of the way that that soil is being managed, the soil heals over time, it regenerates, it, 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 it sequesters more carbon, it builds more fertility, which puts more nutrients in the plants. And if that's true, then the very plants being grown in these regenerative systems were healthier and the people consuming the food were healthier and the, the whole, the farmer's bottom line would improve and the whole community would get better and better and better over time. And so Bob Rodale thought, the word isn't sustainability, it's about regeneration. And it's about entire systems getting stronger and stronger and better and better and ultimately healing over time. So that's really the origin from our vantage point of that word. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I, I think it's remarkable what you and, and the whole Institute has been able to do. Um, I'd mentioned I was speaking with my, my sister and she works at the Earth Institute in Columbia and actually, pointed to your paper that was published in 2015 as sort of the, the cornerstone for, you know, when she was creating a reference room, sort of the cornerstone um, of the reference room. And, and so I know that you guys had worked on this paper in 2015. I believe you also published another uh, white paper, I believe it this year or yeah. 2020. Um, what is the biggest sort of shift that you've noticed in the last five years? Um, because I think my perspective, right, as a consumer and as a, you know, a business owner who is committed to regenerative activities, you know, is all the work that you guys have been doing has really come into the, the daily conversation in, in a way that I've never experienced before. Um, so I'm curious what that, that, you know, if there are some monumental shifts that you've, you've witnessed in the last five years. There is a monumental shift that we've witnessed in the last 12 months. Um, it's been unbelievable. Yeah. So Gabe, we did publish, uh, Rodale Institute published a seminal white paper in 2015 around regenerative organic agriculture and its ability to impact carbon and climate. And that was a seminal moment for our organization in that it landed us a seat at the Paris Climate Accord. And a lot of that science is what is beginning to impact policymakers maker, around the world. We did reauthor that paper as like a, uh, a version 2.0 in 2020 with some updated science. And it has some pretty bold assertions in it that if we would begin to transition all of our agricultural lands in the United States, just in the United States to these regenerative and organic production methods, that we could sequester all the world's carbon emissions in our soils. And again, it's a position paper. It is grounded in science. And um, you know, what we are seeing is a seismic shift right here in 20, right, right before us in this, in this year, where the world is beginning to pay attention to that science. 
and our world's leaders, policymakers, entrepreneurs, business owners, legislators, they're beginning to open, and oh, and I should say, and consumers are beginning to open to the possibilities of every one of us has a role to play mm -hmm. in moving our agricultural systems to this better production methodology. And so we've seen more acceleration for Rodale's work in the last 12 to 16 months than maybe ever before in our history. It's a really exciting time. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm curious, do you think the, what was that moment in the last 12 months that you think consumers really latched on, right? I mean, the, the, the name of this series is State of the Planet. And so unfortunately, I think the state of the planet in many ways is, is quite dire. Um, and perhaps we're realizing that, but is, is there something and also exciting, right? There's a lot of opportunity. Um, and I wanted to point to a fact uh, that I read in, in your paper, but first I'll let you answer that, that question. Yeah, well, it's been, it's been a series of moments. Um, let's start with the pandemic, right? So all of a sudden, uh, back in March of 2020, health and the state of our immune systems became instantly on the hearts and minds of people all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the pandemic did a great a great job of exposing a lot of the frailties in our systems, our healthcare system, uh, our, our global food supply chains, um, the, the health of our people. And so I think the pandemic really exposed a lot. Would you believe that in the pandemic, we were seeing, uh, you know, in the spring, summer months of 2020, we were seeing uh, sales of food directly from farmers to consumers grow at a rate of four, something like 420% year over year. Um, as grocery as grocery shelves went bare, all of a sudden we saw this extreme demand for people in communities to connect directly with farmers, which I find to be fascinating and exciting at the same time. So that was kind of the number one catalyst was all of a sudden people started thinking about health, taking care of themselves, eating healthier to try to safeguard themselves from illness. And our own supply chains broke. And all of a sudden, we began to realize the frailties that exist in our own backyards. Uh, there was a statistic from the National Gardening Association that suggested that there were something like 22 million new gardens planted in our backyards in 2020. All wow. of a sudden, people are at home. They're not going to work. They're working from home. Their kids are not uh, going to school. So what do we do? We take to our backyards, and we begin to reconnect with nature. And I find that to be profound. Um, so I think it's really been a series of events. The movie Kiss the Ground came out in 2020. That really raised consciousness and awareness in a huge way. And people like yourself that are beginning to illuminate uh, agriculture as a pathway to healing. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I, I think the idea that people are you know, planting you know, more gardens, it's almost reminiscent of the victory gardens um, around, I think, World War II. World War II. Right. Yeah, there, yeah. You of our food was coming from these victory gardens at one point. Um, we sort of lost that. Well, we have in 2019. I think the statistics suggest that. So in World War II, during the Victory Garden era, I'm pretty certain that it was something like 45% of all the produce on America's tables was grown in our own backyards. Some 70 years later, in 2019, 17% of all the food purchased at grocery stores came from other countries. So we've seen this seven decade march away from connection to source, right? Like we as consumers have become so divorced from the agricultural process and where our food comes from and how it's produced 
that we expect to walk into Walmart in January and find perfectly ripe tomatoes. Right. And that's that. <laughs> you could certainly find a tomato, but does it taste quite quite right? Is the question. And I think that actually brings me to another another point. I'd, I'd love to hear from you about is you know the connection between. And I'm not sure how much you know about my background, but my background is as a chef. So the idea yeah. from good food is good agriculture, right? Um, right. And, and ultimately leads to, to proper health. But could you draw the connection between, you know, the ways in which we can look towards growing food in particular ways and how that impacts and, and can directly address the health of our own bodies and simultaneously the health of the planet? Oh, for sure. It's all, let me start by saying it is all connected. Um, if, you know, going back to what I shared earlier, you know, our science at Rodale Institute is leading us to believe that there is so much we don't know about the soil. Soil is the most complex ecosystem on the planet. It is more alive and teeming with life than our oceans, rainforests. It is a very, very complex ecosystem. And we've so disrupted and degraded um, this soil ecosystem over the last 70 to 80 years through chemical conventional approaches to agriculture that we as a society for the first time in human history are facing something that we call hidden hunger. And essentially, we are growing food in a commoditized, mechanized way that the food itself is devoid of nu nutrients that you and I need to thrive. Um, we started a seminal study at Rodale Institute four years ago called the, Farm the Vegetable Systems Trial, which is the first uh, study of its kind in the world that's comparing uh, vegetables grown in a regenerative organic way with vegetables grown in a conventional chemical approach. And we're only a couple of years into that study. And it's the first study at Rodale Institute um, where we're actually taking land on our research farm and degrading it. So it was land that was managed organically for 40 plus years. And for the first time, we're beginning to apply pesticides and herbicides to some of that land. And we're starting to track, okay, how are we degrading the soil? Uh, number two, is there a difference between food grown in a regenerative organic way and food grown conventionally? Is there more, is there nutrient disparities? And the answer is a resounding hell yes. Um, we just uh, are, you know, we're only a couple years into this study. And by the way, agricultural research takes not just years, but decades to really play out. You really need to look at it because biology happens over time. It's nature, right? But in just a couple of years, we just had some uh, samples taken out of the vegetable systems trial and analyzed at a third party lab that shown after the third year, there was purple potatoes grown organically and conventionally. The potatoes grown organically had phytonutrients and compounds, um, I think 26 different phytonutrients and compounds that existed at rates 100 to 700 times higher than the conventional plots. And that's only three, year old, that, that's only three years into the study. So if that's true, where, you know, what does that mean for us? We are literally eating food that is devoid of, 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 of vital nutrients. And so, no, it's no wonder we're more susceptible than any time in human history to chronic disease because we're simply not getting nourishment in our food. Wow. I mean, that's, it's astounding. Um, it, yeah. it, to, to some in some sense, it, it makes so much it makes so much sense. Um, but the the ability to quantify it is, I think, uh, remarkable and important. Uh, I think it, I'm still a little bit blown away by 
how quickly the soil can degrade and how scary um, that is. Now, the other side is that how quickly can we actually regenerate it? And I think another part of that question is, could we just define kind of the practices of regenerative organic um, and how sure. to, to get there? And, and you know, I, I, when we were speaking years ago at this point, you had marked um, hemp as a, a highly efficient regenerative crop. And so I'd also like to touch on that because we do have a fair amount of hemp products. Um, and, and so I think it's, it, it's quite fascinating for, for me to learn um, more about that. But yeah, how fast can we regenerate these, these degraded crops, um, which seems to be, there seems to be a lot of them. And what are the actual practices that people need to embody? Yeah. Yeah, let me start by saying it's a very hopeful story in the end. Um, soil has the ability to regenerate, regenerate itself and heal itself as quickly as we help it to do so. You know, soil is alive. It's teeming with life. It wants to live. It wants to thrive. It wants to regenerate. It's what it does biologically uh, when we treat it with that kind of reverence. So to define regenerative organic agriculture at Rodale Institute, we really are looking at um, soil health as the, as the number, you know, we need to teach farmers how to improve the health of the soil. And we do that by using biological methods. So things like cover crops, very, you know, complex crop rotations so that we're promoting biodiversity on the farm, both above ground biodiversity and below ground biodiversity. If you have biodiversity on your farm, you're going to have life on your farm. Uh, so we look at cover crops, crop rotations, uh, we look at ways to not disturb the, so the soil. So we're using no-till technologies. Uh, Rodale Institute has developed and, and, and paved the way with some very powerful technologies that allow farmers not to have to plow the soil, which kills the life in the soil. We're teaching farmers how to use no-till methodologies. Um, we're also looking at uh, different composting systems and ways to promote uh, life in the soil through uh, organic matter by bringing organic matter into the into the equation. And in many cases, what's so hopeful about regenerative organic agriculture is we're not asking farmers to buy anything. We're not asking them to bring inputs onto their farm. We're asking them to use what already exists in nature and the healing can begin like almost immediately. You know, we've been on the, the current site where Rodale Institute's main headquarters is housed. We've been on that 333 acre farm for just over 40 years. When we purchased the farm as a nonprofit, uh, we purchased that farm in complete decay, disarray and decay. And I believe that we've, ta we've taken the soil organic matter, the life in the soil from 1% to over 6% in four decades. And so that's a massive shift in the health of that farm. Um, it doesn't take 40 years. It begins to happen almost immediately when a farmer begins to change its management, their management practices of that farm. And so when you say, you know, 1% to 6%, 6% is measuring the what? Yeah, it's uh, the abbreviation is SOM, soil organic matter. And that's, uh, that's one of the many like indicators of how healthy soil is. Um, by the way, 1% is pretty average for most farm, most conventional farms, at least here in Pennsylvania would measure out at about 1% soil organic matter to have 6% in Pennsylvania. Now it's gonna vary region to region. There's farms in the Midwest that could have 20%, but in Pennsylvania, from a geological perspective, that's actually pretty impressive. And um, 
What's even more fascinating is when you begin to involve animals in farming systems, it only accelerates that process even more. But when we, when we talk about soil organic matter, we're talking about a key performance indicator in measuring the health of that soil. Great, thank you. And, and when we pull that soil out of the earth, right? Yeah. Just describe, I, I, I was astounded by the visuals that you presented. Um, and, oh yeah. Right, the ability for the soil to retain water and the color and the aroma um, versus this, the soil that's been degraded. Um, for sure, yeah. Paint, paint a picture for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I forgot, I forgot about the aquariums. I brought the aquariums to that night when I saw you in New York City. So Rodale Institute also houses a, a very, it's maybe one of the most notable studies in the world on agriculture. It's called the Farming Systems Trial. It's the longest running side-by-side -side comparison of organic and conventional grain crops in the world. And for 40 years, we've been studying traditional grain farming systems, like when you drive up and down the roads in Colorado or most farms in the United States are using chemical conventional approaches to farming. We're actually studying those approaches directly next to regenerative and organic methods. And um, if you were to literally go take a scoop of soil out of an organic plot of the farming systems trial, drop it into an aquarium of water and do the same thing with a scoop of conventional soil, what happens to the conventional soil is that it almost immediately dissipates into the water. It just sort of blends and it becomes, um, it all becomes one. In the organic plot, you're going to see the, the soil hold itself together. And that's because one of the biological processes that happens when you begin to manage soil organically is it increases the amount of something called glomalin, which is a, uh, it's a structure in the soil that holds it together. It's like glue. And so when, it, when we see these massive rain events on television and you see you know, the brown eroding Mississippi River just floating away into the Gulf of Mexico, that's because of how we manage the soil. The, the soils have become so degraded that the glomalin levels are almost non-existent. And in organic systems, that soil was designed to hold water at deep depth. So when there's times of drought, that's why we're seeing up to 40% increases in yields in our organic systems is because the soil is more biologically alive. It's meant to hold water in times of drought. It's meant to take water to deep depth, deeper depths in times of extreme rain. And so what we're talking about is farming for an unstable climate. You know, I think the parallel to soil and humans <laughs> is, is so real, right? The idea of binding together, um, yeah. Biodiversity, um, diversity, uh, resilience, networks, community, resiliency is exactly kind of what, what we need at this moment. So perhaps we can learn a little bit from the soil um, or learn a we lot can from the soil. Learn a lot from the soil. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always say as the soil goes, we go, but as the soil heals, we heal. How is, how is the, you know, 1%, right? I, I read this in, in, in your paper, 1% of cropland is organic. Everyone in my community is eating organic, is doing it right, yet 1% is organic. Scary, exciting. Uh, you know, 
what should we do here? How do we convince, and I, this is the work that you are doing, I'm sure, but you know, how do we, and how, you know, what do we do here? How do we convince people to start moving away from you know, these synthetic inputs that require dollars, that require you know, more space, or the, you, know, you name it, and how do we get people you know, on, on the regenerative, maybe more is la or less is more um, train? Yeah, let me, not to, you know, I think that it's actually 1% is certified organic. So 1% of okay. America's farmland has actually gone through the process of getting uh, certified through an accredited certifier, which is still a really scary low number. Um, the hope is, um, the hope in it all is that organic food consumption is now 6% total market share, right? Right. So 6% of all the food purchased in the grocery store is certified organic. 14% of all the produce purchased is certified organic. So it's now a fifth, what, something like a $50 billion industry in the United States alone. And so there's, there is growing interest, there's growing mm -hmm. demand as evidenced by consumers wanting it. Um, the challenge is, is that our farmers are not, you know, there's a huge demand and a supply shortage. So how do we begin to equip and empower our farmers to move in that direction? Well, we have to pro provide them with technical assistance. We have to provide them with expertise and access to long-term markets. We need to commit to our farmers. Our farmers are not the villain here. We need, our farmers are actually the heroes. And so what we need to do is mobilize and Rodale Institute is working very hard to provide technical assistance and training to farmers um, to fill the void that our land grant system once provided and begin to empower these farmers with the knowledge they need to successfully transition. Um, at the same time, we have a responsibility as consumers to continue to driving that demand so that our farmers have long-term markets. And if we continue to vote with our dollar, we're only gonna increase that velocity quicker. If we talk about certification, um, I mean, I know you have, pioneered organic, now pioneering regenerative organic. There are, you know, a few companies that have been able to become regenerative organic certified. Um, you know, what are the pros and cons of certification? And mind you, we became, you know, organic, uh, the, the majority of our products, USC organic certified this year, which I was ecstatic about. Um, yet now there's yet another certification, um, regenerative organic, which we would love to, you know, uh, continue working towards. But what are the pros and the cons of these certifications? And, and do you really see um, any gaps there? Because it seems like regenerative is really aiming to, you know, look back to look forward um, and, you know, say how are and how should we be growing plants the way that they used to be? How, how are we yeah. growing and treating the land in the way that we always had. Um, and a certification is a validation of that, but do you see any um, any gaps there? For sure. So first of all, I think that certification in organic agriculture is extremely important. Rodale Institute Science back in the late 1980s, um, our, our leader, Bob Rodale and other leaders in the food industry were going back and forth to Washington, DC, asking our federal government to create a standard around organic production because there were many food brands that were co-opting that word organic. It, it, meant, it wasn't defined, it meant everything and nothing. And so we were concerned because Rodale Institute felt that that word needed to be protected and, and safeguarded. Um, it was our farming systems trial that gave our federal government the confidence in the word organic because we proved it out through science. 
And in 1990, they passed the, the government passed the National Organic Production Act. And by 2002, we started to see the USDA organic logo roll out on products. And it was all grounded in the science of Rodale. And it is really one of the only standards at the grocery store that is audited. It's, it, it's housed in our federal government. There's policy and legislation around it. It's a very trusted name. At the same time, as more and more big food companies begin to move into the organic sector because of consumer demand, we've begun to see a watering down of that standard. We've begun to see the acceptance of things like hydroponic growing, which Rodale does not espouse, uh, accepted in that standard. And so Rodale wanted to get ahead of that. And the standard frankly hadn't been innovated in 18 years. So Rodale loves the organic standard, but we felt that innovation belongs in every industry and we wanted to push the bar higher. So we launched the regenerative organic certification last year in partnership with Dr. Bronner's and Patagonia, some other brands. And the whole point there was to begin to challenge farmers to go to the next level, uh, to innovate, to, to care about soil health, to care about animal welfare, to care about human, how are humans in those systems being treated? That was our intention. And it's all about pushing the bar higher. So yes, there were gaps. We saw gaps. Once the federal government began to house the word organic, Rodale didn't have the ability to influence that standard in the same way. So we took it upon ourselves to launch a new standard to go above and beyond organic. That's great. It's the, the, the pinnacle. Um, I remember you maybe giving this example of you know large corporations being able to buy swaths of land in South America for very cheap and adhere to, you know, very specific USDA organic standards. Yet after a few, you know, cycles of, of, of harvesting from the land, it's completely depleted. And so although, you know, organic is a better standard, it does perhaps miss the opportunity or the need and importance to be simultaneously investing back in the land with the regenerative practices that you've been so. Yeah, totally. So what's happening, you know, in big, in big food companies, to your point, we're going down to Mexico and South America, you know, land leases are way cheaper down there. So they were leasing large swaths of land, thousands of acres at a time, farming it to the organic standard. Sure. No chemicals in the system. But then after five, 10 years, they were not investing in the health of the soil. Right. With cover crops, with crop rotations, with compost, and they would just end their lease and go do it again somewhere. And that's not land. That's not stewarding the earth. And so Rodale is saying, listen, it's all about the health of the soil. Let's let's focus our efforts and, and energies there. OK, so here's a. Um, like pop pop question, uh, if you will. I'm a consumer and I'm faced with the decision. Do I buy organic? Do I buy local? Do I buy seasonal? Whoa. Of course, the gold standard is I would love to buy organic, local, seasonal. Yet there is immense privilege and only you know some possibility to do that. So how would you rank these? Right, and so if we can put our our our, our actions to work, um, how would you prioritize as a consumer what and how to buy if given the opportunity to buy local, organic, or seasonal. Yeah, I agree with you. I believe in the democratization of food. And I believe that the first step is we need to support organic farmers because they're the real heroes. They're the ones investing in a healthier world. They're taking all the cost. They are 
working tirelessly without, without a lot of governmental support, frankly. Um, and we as consumers are their only way forward. We have to support organic agriculture. I do believe that democratization of food means supporting organic, um, but we also need to keep our food dollars in our backyard. You know, if you can't buy from a farmer's market or from a farmer in your community, because I do believe it's every one of, every one of us has a responsibility to get to know a farmer and to have a relationship with a farmer in our community, growing food in harmony with nature organically. Um, but there's also amazing food, you know, like, like independent grocery stores in our own backyard. So I like to tell people buy organic and buy it from a decentralized source. You know, if you can avoid Whole Foods and Walmart, perfect. There's places like um, in your neck of the woods, there's natural grocers out there in Boulder, Colorado. It's that. doing an awesome job. It's a family owned independent grocery chain that's doing awesome work in the world. Here in Pennsylvania, I have a store called Kimberton, which is owned by Terry Brett. It's a seven store or nine store chain. And it's one of the highest bar grocery chains I've ever seen anywhere in the United States. And I can buy my products there and I'm actually keeping food dollars in my community. Thank you for answering that. I, I, I think it's always a, um, you know, it's, it's not a it's not a straightforward answer, but I I think that the distillation is if given the opportunity and the means by local, by seasonal, by organic. Um, okay, so if there were three things that you wanted people to know about what's going on in the planet right now, what would they be? Soil. Soil and soil. <laughs> okay. I think I think that um, I was preparing for a United Nations talk. Uh, there was a United Nations hosts, hosts like a global day of action back in September, and I got invited to give a talk there. And as I was preparing for that talk, um, the, the whole event was focused on the United Nations Global Sustainability Goals, the SDGs, I think they're called, or Sustainable Development Goals. And I think there's something like 17 of them. And as I was preparing for this talk, I was reading those, those goals and no kidding, almost every one of the goals to a T could be in some ways healed through the soil. So in mm. other words, if we turn all of our efforts and energies as farmers and as consumers towards the health of our soil, it heals almost every global challenge we face from chronic disease, uh, climate, air, water, social injustice, uh, you know, inequity, you know, inequities, one by one by one, we could actually use organic agriculture and soil health as the tool to heal every dimension of our planet. Amen. I, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. I, it's actually um, something that I speak with my sister about and learn a lot from my sister about because she works with companies to align them with those sustainable um, development goals uh, through through the Earth Institute. So I think what's you know what it what's amazing is that soil and what you're talking about truly is a silver bullet. Like it is it's sexy it's you know it's dirty quite literally um it's returning to you know the most 
primordial primal yeah elements of who we are and it doesn't involve technology <laughs> you know yeah. i think we get into the cycle that we can fix it we can keep innovating out of it um and i think that you know everything that you are saying and have shared and the work that you're doing is you know it, it really kind of is the answer um so you know what is it that we can do to support um support your your efforts what is it that we can yeah, yeah how can how can we support yeah oil and, and rodale yeah, well, you can, there's, I think there's two tracks here. I think how could we support Rodale is we need people like you um, raising awareness for what we're doing. So thank you for having me on today. We need your audience and consumers to um, support our mission. We're a nonprofit. So we rely on people like you that believe in what we're doing to, to support our mission and to advance our uh, science and our technical assistance and best practice. But then beyond that, I think every one of us has what I call opportunities to reconnect. So, you know, number one, we all have a responsibility to get to know a farmer, um, to have a relationship with a farmer, to vote with our dollar by supporting those farmers in our communities that are doing it right. Number two, we, you know, if you have access to land or even a windowsill, we all should grow something. There's something so profound about the interaction of nature when we get to steward a plant, when we grow something like a basil plant on a windowsill in a New York City apartment, there's something that happens to a child when they participate in the act of agriculture, it changes them forever. And it, it changes the way they see food. Um, so get to know a farmer, plant something, you know, compost. Um, these are very simple things we can do in our own backyard. Um, that can have a profound impact on the world. Um, we, we need to accelerate this movement very quickly. And the cool thing about it is we all eat three times a day. So the actual act of food consumption has an impact on the history of the world. Gotta get our hands a bit dirty. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, I, there was a quote, I do not know where it, came from, but you know, you don't have a home until you have a garden or, or, or mm. something like that. And I think that, you know, the connect connecting to the true pace of, of life and the natural world is, you know, so easily, uh, we can access it so easily by, as you said, just simply growing something. And I think the relationship that, you know, that I've been able to cultivate with food and, and agriculture um, obviously starts there, but it's a whole new perspective. The idea that a watermelon takes, you know, a hundred some odd days to grow yet we can consume it so quickly. Um, or, you know, just, just the natural pace and, and how, how we can learn something from that. Um, Absolutely. so I really appreciate you saying, um, and sharing your pearls of wisdom, your nuggets of gold, um, perhaps they're greater than nuggets, maybe. Um, hey, we didn't talk about hemp, Gabe. Let's talk about hemp. Okay, if you have time, I'm all ears on hemp. I mean, totally. that was what kickstarted. I, I, I was so excited to hear you um, bring that up. And, you know, I think, you know, right, hemp was planted at Chernobyl to clean up the soils. And so, yeah, can we talk about hemp and the yeah. 
the ecological and economic benefits of hemp. You know, hemp was illegal to grow in Pennsylvania for something like 80 years because some stupid legislation. And, uh, you know, six years ago now, five years ago, Rodale Institute was granted permission and approval to grow hemp for research. Um, this is before the consumer legislation passed. And so we were one of the first research organizations in the United States to be studying hemp. And we were particularly studying, we are to this day, continue to study hemp as a, as a cover crop. So it's now being, what we're trying to do is do the science that would show farmers how they could begin to build hemp into their crop rotation. And by doing so, it actually improves the health of the soil over time. So we're, what we're trying to show farmers is that planting hemp it's good for the soil. It suppresses weeds, which is farmer's worst enemy. Um, and by the way, it's a really good cash crop. So we're trying to create economic vitality for farmers that are by showing them, hey, you can grow hemp and it's good for your bottom line. So hemp is this wonder crop that heals the soil, um, is actually a tool for farmers to manage one of their greatest problems. But then thirdly is creating new opportunity from a revenue perspective. So we're really excited about hemp as part of a complex regenerative system. So when, when, when most people think hemp at, at this point, right, they think CBD. And I, I find that to be um, problematic in that I believe there's over 8,000 industrial uses for, for hemp. Um, and using it as a, as a supplement is really only scratching the surface and only does really use one part of, of the plant. What are the elements of hemp or the uses that you find to be the most exciting uh, looking forward? Um, it's my understanding. And um, by the way, Rodale has a great partner and it's a company called Pocono Organics. Ashley Walsh is their founder. And um, Pocono, Rodale is working with Pocono. They're, they're doing a lot of work in regenerative organic agriculture. And our friend Ashley likes to say that anything that is created with plastic could be made with hemp. So it's a incredible biodegradable resource that could be a solution to a lot of our challenges. Um, at Rodale Institute, we're also studying different varieties of hemp and learning what grows, grows best in certain climates. Uh, but there's many, many, many applications for the crop itself, industrial applications, medical applications, um, bioremediating, you know, applications, you talked about Chernobyl and, you know, hemp's ability to clean up the soil to bioremediate where there's been pollution. So um, the list goes on and on. It sequesters more carbon. It's a, it's a wonder plant. I mean, we are just beginning. We're on the tip of the iceberg of understanding the wonder and awe of this amazing, amazing plant. I know that for me in my own health journey um, in recovering from chronic Lyme disease, um, hemp has played, and CBD in particular, has played an incredible role in my own health. So I'm forever indebted to this miracle of life we call hemp. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I think the takeaway, right, it, for me is that the answer to all that we're trying to solve is uh, in nature. It's all around us. It's under our feet. Um, and being able to move in a direction that honors that and that recognizes it in a holistic um, and, and, and profound way is the future. Um, yeah. So really thank you so much for sharing all of your 
your insights and taking time out of your busy schedule to, to discuss all of this with me. Um, I learned a lot, I feel so, so inspired. Um, so sort of lastly, where would you, where can people find more about your efforts, about you personally, um, and the floor is yours. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, everyone uh, would invite you to come to rodaleinstitute.org. Um, some of the white papers that gave uh, reference today can be found there. Uh, very accessible. We are, Our marketing team does a great job of making scientific knowledge enterable and understandable and relatable to everyone. And um, please follow us on social at Rodale Institute. Sign up for one of our webinars. Our, uh, we have global education, online education, where you can take a class, learn how to compost in your own backyard, learn how to, how to plant a garden. Um, we really want to invite you on the journey with us and, and you can do that quite easily through uh, social and digital means. And then if you ever find yourself in Pennsylvania, California, Iowa, or Georgia, we have campuses in every one of those states. You can read more at our site and we'd love to host you for an in-person tour. Mr. Jeff Katch, thank you so much. You're uh, a hero um, and so grateful. So I hope you have a wonderful day and thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom with us. Right on, Gabe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Talk soon.